All right, grab your Bible and uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 15. And as you're turning, one of the key things he said is that, uh, you know, sometimes we look for the practical answer to a problem and those things are good. Um, but if the heart doesn't change, um, then you're just waiting for the next trip up to happen, basically. And so um, and whatever it is that you could be struggling with or a family member or friend, whatever, just everybody should come out. Proverbs 15, we made it down last week through verse 17 and we got to pick it up at verse 18. And of course, time is always a challenge now. Um, but we are going to we finished the chapter first service. I can't leave you all hanging. So um, y'all let go ahead and let the children's ministry know. Uh, verse 18. If you're there with me, please say amen. amen. A wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allies contention. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. A wise man makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. Without counsel, plans go array, but in a multitude of counselors, they are established. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? The way of life when winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away from hell below. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report makes the bones healthy. The ear that hears the rebukes of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds rebuke gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of the wise and before honor is humility. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning, Lord God, for this text that you've brought us to. We pray that you would open it to us today, Lord God, that you would remove the things that hinder, that you would take the distractions away from the room, any thoughts in our minds, that you would rebuke the enemy and move him far back, Lord God, that we would have this moment, this hour, Lord, to hear what you have to say. We pray that you would take our attention and hold it. And we trust that you can do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we dive in, verse 18. Uh, a wrathful man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allies contention. And it's kind of an interesting verse to jump right in. It's a contrast between two types of men, the wrathful man, the man or the wrathful woman, and then the man or woman who is slow to anger. And as we go through this, we're going to get to see two contrasts actually, because one, 
the wrathful man stirs up strife, but the other one allows contention. And so we're going to see what that means. And this wrathful man, the word actually in the Hebrew, it means heat. It means rage or hot displeasure. It means burning anger. It, you know, I keep saying heat and burn, and it kind of makes me think about when the water boils, things get agitated, you know. And, and so it also means poison and venom. There's, there's a lot going on there. Um, Psalm 37, 8 says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. And so the Bible is constantly warning against these things. And so it speaks of a hot-headed person, somebody that's boiling. They, they're they're, they're quick-tempered. It's the kind of person that you already know how they are, so you're on eggshells when you're around them because you know if you say the wrong thing the wrong way or even look at them wrong, they're flying off the handle. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't. I, yeah, I don't want to get anybody in trouble in case the person's with you. So this is kind of what this is speaking of, and we, we, want, to, we want to be mindful, and I'm going to come back to it in a moment, but we need to be careful with that. And the, 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 this, the second part of this says, in the contrast, he who is slow to anger, on the other hand. The person that's slow to anger, the word, the phrase in the, in the Hebrew, it, it means to follow in this manner, which is interesting. And then the other part of it means long-suffering, slow, and patient. So in this manner of being long-suffering and slow and patient, that kind of person, on the other hand, is very, very different. This person is acting like God, by the way. God himself. Why do I say that? Well, over and over in the Bible, the Bible speaks of God in this way. And I'm going to use just one example out of many I could have pulled up. But Psalm 86:15 says, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. And so when a person is slow to anger, they're actually being very godly, or they're being like God, who is very slow to anger and is very merciful and long-suffering. And we see that in how long God deals with people before he brings judgment. And aren't we happy about that? Yeah, because God is that way. He gave uh, the land of Canaan 400 years to repent of their sin before he sent Joshua and the boys in to destroy. So God is very long suffering. So listen, so these two types of men or these two types of women produce two different types of fruit, creating two different environments around themselves. Well, what do I mean? Well, stirs up strife, this wrathful man, the, the phrase stirs up strife, it literally means to call strife, to stir up strife, to cause it, to meddle. In other words, it's not that strife just happened to, to come about in the midst of the conversation. No, it's because this person is wrathful, they are causing it to happen because they're hotheads and, and they're meddling and they're never able to keep peace because of what's going on on the inside of them. They're full of rage and wrath, maybe full of anger, maybe full of bitterness because things haven't been resolved. Because we're talking about non-believers as well as a believer who can be in this way and maybe sometimes not even realize it. And so these things need to be, to be checked, obviously. Where in contrast, the one who is slow to anger allies contention. The word there, it actually means to be tranquil and quiet and peaceful, but it actually also means to cause tranquilness or quietness or peacefulness to occur. 
So these two are uh, not only bearing two different fruits, they're creating two different atmospheres around them. So the person who is slow to anger is actually creating a very peaceful and tranquil environment. And we all know people that it's just easy to be around. They're just a joy. And, and, and the things they say are, are really a blessing. And even when we're being a little abrupt or aggressive, they know how to even calm us down. Anybody know anybody like that? They're becoming peacemakers, if you will. But we're called to this because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. So, wait, so here's the thing. Husbands and wives, parents and children, friends who fellowship, we are called to be slow to anger and to create an environment of peace. This is how we become peacemakers. And when we're not, we're being opposite of God and opposite of the call of God in our lives, no matter where we are and who we're interacting with. And this is what we need to understand. See, Solomon is encouraging his children to consider this and act accordingly. The only way, listen, the only way, because the, the issue is, before I go there, the issue is this. If you are hot-headed, quick-tempered, stirring up strife, and we know these people. I know people, and I won't say where I know them or how I know them, but it's to the point where I already know when I go in their midst, I got to be careful what I say because they're just going to stir up some strife with it, you know? And, and so the thing is, when we do that, it's exposing the fact we're bearing the fruit of carnality. We're operating in the flesh and we're operating opposite of God, even resisting the Holy Spirit that's in us if we're saved because the Holy Spirit is always trying to convict us and draw us back closer to God. So if we're the hot-tempered person that flies off the handle and stirs up strife, we're being carnal and fleshly. And so here's the thing. The only way to hold the flesh back is through training. What do I mean? Well, I thought about it this way. Um, a good example of carnality and fleshliness is to look at your, your pet especially your dog. How many of you actually have a dog? Raise your hand if you have a dog. Okay. You watch them. I know you love them. But all they want to do is eat and play and scratch themselves. <laughs> all right. Am I right? That's all they really care to do. And it's just, they just want to be, they just want to eat. They want to get satisfied. And so that's what they are. And so when you think about that, that's a good example of what the flesh looks like. And I thought about this. Um, a good example of a, of, a, of a big dog, I thought about the Rockweiler, it's a good example of the largest, one of the largest and strongest dogs, right? So the male Rockweiler weighs anywhere from 110 to 130 pounds. Most people, especially a little lady, is not going to be able to control that type of dog on a leash without getting their arms pulled out of socket, right? But with training... A little lady, or even a child, can give a command to even the beast, the Rottweiler, and it will obey. That's interesting to me. James says in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, James says, But every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. We've talked about this before. Most of these verses, by the way, that we're going through today are not new to us. So in other words, your, your tongue can spew poison right out of your mouth and you don't have the ability to control it, which we talked about. So the tongue, our carnality must be tamed, must be trained by the Holy Spirit. And if you're saved, this is a must for our growth as a disciple. We are growing. We are learning um, how to control our flesh. You can't expect to be able 
to spiritually be victorious against any kind of temptation if you don't train your flesh to obey your spirit before the temptation shows up. And so it starts with small things. Well, what do I mean? Well, if you learn to obey God in very small things, you build momentum so that when something real shows up, a real temptation, you have already trained your flesh to be obedient. And honestly, just a tip, it kind of starts with fasting. I have found, we don't talk about fasting a lot in the church today, but fasting is wonderful because with fasting, what you're doing is teaching your flesh that it's not in control because your flesh is, is wanting something. So it's sending urges your way to give it what it wants, like the dog begging for food or something. And by you saying, no, I'm fasting, it trains the flesh that you're in control by your spirit and it's not in control. It doesn't lead you, in other words. You follow what I'm saying? And so what happens is you begin to you kind of train yourself a little bit. And so then as you're fasting, you begin to spend time rather with the Lord as opposed to indulging. And, and fasting is about fasting from food. Yes, there are other things you can fast from, but primarily biblical fasting is from food. Okay, we good? But as you begin to do that, nobody wants to say, man, we're talking about fasting. <laughs> Getting close to the holidays, like, no, pastor. But no, it's a good thing because what happens is you shut off the, the noise of the flesh. You begin to spend time with the Lord. You begin to pray. You begin to read your Bible. You begin to fellowship with the Lord himself. And then you begin to notice all of a sudden he's speaking to you. Well, really, you just couldn't hear him before. And so I would encourage you to think about that. And so all of that, you know, a raffle man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger allies contention. In other words, we're going to create the right environment um, as we learn to, to walk in the spirit. The Bible says to walk in the spirit that you do not fulfill the lust of the flesh and that the spirit and the flesh lust against each other or war against each other so that we do not do the things which we want. So therefore, Romans says that by the spirit, we are to mortify the deeds of the flesh. So consistently throughout the New Testament, we're told to grow spiritually by, tell, by telling the flesh who's in command. And it's the Holy Spirit. So we yield to the Holy Spirit because he's trying to lead us. But the flesh, boy, the flesh, the old man, dead man that we drag around with us. All right. Y'all okay? Y'all real quiet today. I, I bragged on y'all to the first service about how rowdy y'all were and y'all are here all quiet. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, the way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. I love this. It's, it's kind of humorous. We've seen this before. The Bible, Proverbs talks a lot about the lazy man, but it's kind of humorous because it's, it's saying that his way is like a hedge of thorns, but it's not a hedge of thorns, but to the lazy man, it's kind of like a hedge of thorns because he doesn't want to endure any hardship. So to the lazy man, everything is too hard. He might hurt himself or she might cause discomfort to herself. So they don't want to do anything. In the Bible, Proverbs is talking a lot about this. Solomon talks about this issue so much. I had to give you a few verses because I guess it's a big thing to the Lord. Proverbs 10, 26 says, as vinegar to the teeth, and maybe that doesn't make sense to you. So it also says, and smoke to the eyes. Anybody ever had their eyes burned by smoke? So as smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send him. In other words, just like the smoke irritates the eyes, that's how irritating a lazy person can be. 
Proverbs 12, 24 says, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. So the lazy man is always going to end up on the low, uh, low part of things because they're lazy. Proverbs 12, 27 says, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's pr uh, precious possession. So even if a lazy man receives something, it's going to go to waste because he's too lazy to do anything with it. Proverbs 13, 4 says, the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. So the lazy man desires things, but he never can get to a point of obtaining it because he's lazy. Proverbs 19, 24 says, a lazy man, check this out, buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. The lazy man is too lazy to eat. Now that one... Mm -mm -mm. Once you get there, I mean, you're gone. It's done. <laughs> man. Proverbs 24, 4 says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Can you catch that? It's too cold. I can't work. <laughs> then when the harvest time comes, everybody's harvesting. Hey, can I have some? No, you, no, you can't have any. Proverbs 21, 25. The desire of a lazy man kills him for his hands refuse to labor. That's crazy. And then Proverbs 22, 13 says, the lazy man says, check this out. There's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. In other words, there's the possibility of a lion being out there so I can't go to work. That's what the lazy, <laughs> that's, that's what the lazy man says. And sometimes our government rewards that. So when I look at the verse, I, I shouldn't have said that. When I look at the verse, though, <clears throat> Because there are different aspects of that, and I understand that. So don't nobody get offended and lose your ear. Listen to me very carefully, all right? Because I've been working since I was 10 years old. So I'm saying it from that context. So I don't want you to be offended, okay? Now, so the way of the lazy man is a hedge of thorns. But the way of the upright is a highway. A hedge of thorns, if you ever seen a hedge of thorns, it's hard to get through. It takes work. You can do it with a machete or something. It's just, it's just work to it. But the way of the upright, the upright, remember, contextually, we're in the Bible talking to believers, the upright are those who are surrendering their lives to God and trying to follow him. Because of that, he's given them wisdom and he's, he's given them uh, a desire to be diligent because believers are diligent. And so their way is a highway. And I like the fact that it said highway. It didn't say street. It didn't say path. Because paths can be, have obstacles and streets have stop signs and red lights. A highway is when you get on the highway, there, there's no, no red lights. There are no stop signs. There's two lanes and you can move swiftly. And I like that. In other words, because the upright is being diligent and not lazy, they have a, a, a path of productivity before them and they're accomplishing things. Listen, Clark said it this way, because he is slothful, he imagines 10,000 difficulties in the way which cannot be surmounted, but they are all creations of his imagination. In other words, what the commentator was trying to say is the lazy man will create 10,000 excuses and reasons why they can't get something done, but they're all made up and they don't even realize it. Laziness is a theft 
because a lazy person lives off the work of others. Laziness is selfishness because a lazy person lives only for self and comfort. And laziness is neglect of duty because the lazy person does not do what he or she should. And so we all understand that and we can see that at certain times in our life and we've probably seen it. Maybe at some point we were that person and, and God has changed us or whatever the case may be. So that's good from a practical standpoint. But then what about spiritually? How does this impact the body of Christ? Well, the spiritually lazy person, because there are some spiritually lazy people, the spiritually lazy person will not pray, will not read the Bible and will not fellowship. There are 10,000 reasons why they can't do those things. I got stuff to do. And I won't name some of those things because you'll think I'm talking about you. <laughs> so the spiritually lazy person will only show up when they are in trouble or need something. They become a drain on those who could otherwise be being productive for the Lord, but tied up with them. Spiritually lazy people will not put in the work so they can grow and be refreshed by the Lord. They want someone in ministry to fix it for them. Give them a word of prophecy because they refuse to seek the Lord who wants to speak to them. And so we got to consider these things, you know, because we don't want to be spiritually lazy or practically lazy. We want to hear the Lord. Okay, we got to move on. All right, verse 20. Verse 20, I'm going to try to try to roll now. Verse 20 says, a wise son makes a, makes a father glad. But a foolish man despises his mother. I always look at the contrast because they are very extreme because Solomon, by the Holy Spirit, is trying to grab his children and our attention. So one of the, the things I see in the contrast here, if the second part of it is nobody hates their mother. Nobody despises their mother. Even if someone has a mother that's not a good mother, they still have a love for their mother. This is why... You know, back in the day, we used to say when, when somebody makes it big and get on TV, they never say, hi, dad, or hi, granddad. It's always mom, right? You know, it's just that way. So everybody loves their mom. And so that's the extreme here. You know, yeah, a good son, a wise son, daddy's going to be proud of him. But the foolish man despises his mother. So that means this person is really jacked up. In other words, what the Bible is really trying to imply is that this person um, who is foolish does not appreciate his parents in any way, will not listen, will not learn, and has to learn the hard way on their own. That's kind of what that's implying. So verse 21, we've seen all of this stuff before, though. There's nothing new here. Verse 21 says, folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. So for a person that doesn't have discernment, does, is not walking with the Lord, is refusing wisdom of the Lord, they just love foolishness. Their foolishness brings them joy. Okay, foolishness could be anything that that is not of God, does not bring glory to God, is wasteful, is 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 uh, of evil things, and have no discernment. So that that's their joy. That's what they spend their time with. They they enjoy the wasteful things of this life. But a man of understanding walks uprightly, walks in a way that under his own conviction or her own conviction, they walk in a way that's pleasing God. Um, and that's what their heart's desire actually is. And for that reason, a lot of these other things we're going to see happens for them. Verse 22. Verse 22 says, without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, 
they are established, meaning their plans are established. We saw this in earlier chapters where there's a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Y'all remember that? So the Bible is implying that for the believer, for the disciple, counsel is a must. We should receive counsel about everything that we do with our lives. And it begins with this open and on our knees in prayer because counsel begins with the mighty counsel himself, the Lord. Amen. So that's where it all begins. But even then beyond, we often need counsel from the body of Christ, from those that we're in fellowship with, because the Bible says iron sharpens iron. Another verse in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Another verse in Proverbs. So it's really good when we have the counsel of the body as well, because the Bible says that those who isolate themselves, they seek their own will and rages against all wise counsel. So then the believer is someone who humbles themselves and seeks the counsel of the Lord as it relates to everything. And when you're in fellowship with other believers, that's good because a, a friend is someone who's willing to tell you that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard because <laughs> they don't want you to waste your time because they love you. You know, somebody that's not your friend would like, well, well, go see what happens. <laughs> you know, they're not going to tell you the truth, but a friend in the Lord is going to give wise counsel. Now, even beyond that, it then goes to those big, serious decisions we got to make. We don't know which way to go, but in a multitude of counselors, the plans become established. So what we've learned in leadership here at the church, and maybe you're involved in something and there's Christians around, um, you know, or even in your work. And if they're not believers, when you when you bring people in who have something to contribute or share, who may be experts in a situation and know what they're talking about, you can gain a whole lot more information on it. It's kind of called doing your research. Y'all know what I'm saying? And finding out how to do something and what are the pitfalls that people have already learned who've already done it the wrong way and can save you the frustration. And here at the church, what we've learned is that when we come before the Lord in prayer as a group of elders, sometimes when we're having a big decision to make and we put it before the Lord, we find that there's a supernatural way that the Lord intervenes and then leads the discussion. He leads us to the right decision that needs to be made. And there's a peacefulness about it that everybody experiences. And I don't know how he does it exactly, but he shows up kind of like in the book of Acts when they would, the apostles would write and says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit said, send Paul and Barnabas out. But it was a bunch of guys in leadership praying and fasting and ministering to the Lord and the Holy Spirit would made it very clear to them what they were supposed to do. So there are times when we come together and put it in prayer, what we're doing as disciples is now we're submitting our will to the Lord and allowing him to lead. And that's extremely important lesson to learn as a believer. We're going to actually, there's a part of the school of ministry that's going to talk about that a little bit. So that's important. All right. So without counsel, the plans go away. You didn't seek any counsel. You didn't pray. You didn't talk to the Lord. Didn't look into the word to see if there's guidance already written. And you didn't get what another believer and pray through it. And so it goes crazy. Verse 23. All right. Verse 23 says, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Another place says a word fitly spoken is precious in Proverbs 25. What is he getting at here? Well, I, I'm, it's so good that we're going verse by verse and we're looking at things in biblical context because 
And we're going to talk about that tonight, by the way. If you get here early, the first part of the Daniel 70 weeks is going to be how you read the Bible, how you study the Bible, how you interpret Scripture. Because if the word faith people or the prosperity people will take this in a wrong direction. It's not implying that you create your own situation or you, you, you and all of that kind of stuff. But what it is implying here, I believe, if you put it with the rest of the scriptures that we've looked at, is that a man has joy by the answer of his mouth because a man who's following the Lord, he's going to be seeking the Lord, as we're going to see later, and how he should speak. And we're taught as we walk with the Lord to have our speech seasoned with salt. Y'all know this, right? So therefore, because of that, um, how I answer, how I respond, how I speak is going to be in such a way that it's going to be meaningful things of the Lord. And because of that, there is going to be a sense of a joy created because I'm not stirring up strife. I'm becoming a peacemaker. So people are blessed when I'm speaking or when you're speaking with one another and they respond in a similar way and it creates a different environment like we looked at earlier. Does that make sense? I mean, these are things that we can begin to see from this and we need to be careful how we spend our time talking. The Bible says that every idle word that we speak, we have to give an account for it when we stand before the Lord. So I, as a believer, I don't even have the right to just be, just be talking. You know how we just, you know, I need to be, I need to be mindful. We'll see it in another verse in a moment of what I say. I'll come back to that when we get to the other verse. So the next part of that is a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Meaning that we need to put our words, they need to almost be a strategy about it or some thoughtfulness to it because I want to say a word that is beneficial to the person I'm talking to in that moment. And so verse 24, we'll come back to that. The way of life winds upward for the wise that he may turn away from hell below. I love the verse, very simple. <laughs> for those who are trying to walk upright with the Lord, it winds upward for us. And God has good plans for us. We know that. He's turned us away from hell because we're born again, if you are born again. Amen? Amen. And so because of that, we're on the stairway to heaven. Amen. Verse 25 says, um, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Now, that's a very special verse. He'll destroy the house of the proud. Well, that makes sense because the Bible says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Bible says, humble yourself in the, in, the, in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So the Bible speaks a lot about us being humble before the Lord, turning away from pride because pride goes before the fall, haughty spirit before destruction. Satan's sin was pride. So we understand that, right? So because he resists the proud, the proud, his house, his house will be destroyed. God is not lending favor to it. He's actually resisting the prideful person. But the contrast is where Solomon is trying to teach us something. He will establish the boundary of the widow. And I like the fact that he said boundary and not house is the thing, you know. What's the boundary? Well, I mean, you can have a house, but the boundary is the property line, which is further away. Y'all follow what I'm saying? Um, it's the outskirt part. And I love this. So if the, if the danger is coming towards the widow's house, the Lord stops it at the property line. It doesn't make it to the doorsteps. That's what I'm getting from this. I love that because it says that, hey, for those who are humbled because the widow is, especially in the time that they wrote, she's lost her husband. She's humbled now. And so therefore she's relying on the Lord. And so the person who's humbled and relying on the Lord, God is the one who is working with and protecting them 
And I thought about Hagar as I was reading this, the Egyptian uh, handmade slave girl that belonged to Sarah who got kicked out by Sarah because Sarah said to Abraham, she and her son need to go. And so she's out on the road by herself trying to make it. And she's weeping because she thinks her son is going to die of, of thirst and starvation. And the Lord gently speaks to her and says, I'm, he's not going to die. Shows her where she can get a drink of water for him and tells her that he's going to grow into a mighty nation. God, even, even look, Abraham was the one called. Isaac was the promised son, but God didn't forget Hagar and her son Ishmael. The gentleness of the Lord towards the widow. This is why he rebukes Israel in the scripture later in the book of Isaiah, because they didn't take care of and speak up for the widow and the orphan. So those who are humbled, God loves them. This is why when we look at the world we live in and we get all puffed up about what's going on, what we don't realize is God has detailed records about everything that's going on and judgment will come and nothing will get by him. Everything will be judged according to righteousness because God cares for the widow. He cares for the orphan. He cares for the children. So verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant. Wonderful contrast. The wicked, even their thoughts, God knows and sees the wickedness of it. And it's an abomination to him. If you're new to going through this with us, abomination generally means it is something that is disgusting to the Lord. And you can do a study on those things that are an abomination to him throughout Scripture. You would be amazed, especially in the times we're living in. But the words of the pure are pleasant. Verse 27, I'm moving swiftly. Y'all doing okay? He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. It's a good contrast here. Now, the person who hates bribes is a person that's trying to do things right. And, and, and be, you can tell because if a person is willing to refuse a bribe, that person's really trying to walk right with the Lord. You know, it, you know they turn the bribe down. Nobody would know to slip a little something under the table. No, man, I'm not doing that. That person's trying to walk right with the Lord. But the thing is, he who is greedy for gain, this person's going to compromise and he's going to cause trouble in his own house because all he wants is gain. He's a covetous or she's covetous, meaning that they desire things so much that they're going to compromise to the detriment of their own soul and their own homes. And this is something the Bible warns against. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with having things, but Paul says to Timothy, teach the church to warn those who would be rich to be careful because they fall into a snare. The desire to be rich and to be covetousness and to be materialistic is going to draw you away and entrap you in the things of this world. And Jesus says that no one can love two masters. They'll either love the one and, and they'll hate the other because we can't serve both God and mammon, which is a reference to material things of this earth. So this is what the Bible warns us against. And this kind of attitude even crept into the church with the prosperity gospel, which is a heresy to where they have taught people even that, you know, to go after those things. Yes, God blesses those who are diligent and not lazy and hardworking and walking right. Things happen, yes, but we're not to be given to those things. In fact, the opposite. As disciples of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that there's this, there's this word that I'm going to give you. And as a disciple, it's one of the words you need, to, you need to know it and you need to learn the lessons of it. Because it's the most freeing experience a Christian can have. 
And the word is called contentment because the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul says, I've learned how to be abased, to have nothing. I've learned how to abound, which means to have much. In all ways, he says, I learned, I've learned to be content. So therefore, he's able to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because he's learned to be content in God. That's the only reason he can do all things through Christ because he's learned contentment. And his contentment is freeing because once you come to a place where you're content, guess what? Satan got nothing on you. The world got nothing on you. You ain't tempted no more. You ain't worried about things. You know, you, you found this place, this free place in the Lord where you got Jesus and you good. And if he adds, amen. And if he doesn't, amen. And man, you're talking about being free. I remember when I discovered this lesson as a, as a disciple and I was still working in corporate America and people were still fighting for the promotion and I was free. I wasn't in the competition, but I was getting the promotions anyway. <laughs> well, because I was content, I had joy. I was able to be diligent, no, no bribing, no backbiting. Just, just in content in the Lord. And true story, some of you know it, every day at the end of the day, when it's time to go, everybody's stressed. I was able to pack up my little IBM ThinkPad they gave us, pack it up, put it in a little bag, put all my little stuff in. It's time to go home now. I got a family. And I was able to say to them, hey, God bless y'all. I see you tomorrow, Lord willing, with the peace sign up as I'm, I'm out, you know. And I uh, go home. Had uh, Back then we had the... Um, Calvary Satellite Network on, so I had that on all the way home. I, I was content. Contentment is freeing. You ain't got to worry about nothing. You ain't fighting for nothing. You don't feel like you're missing out on something anymore. That's something that the Lord can do inside your heart. And so the Bible warns about being greedy and being covetousness for that reason, because it's, it's something that will take your heart in the wrong direction. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. This is where I was trying to go earlier. But the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. So the righteous people are thinking through how they should respond, how they should answer, what kind of words they should give. Uh, because we're, we have a heart of being a peacemaker. We want to do the right thing. We want to say the right thing. And so we're studying. We're thinking through that. Uh, the Lord is far from the wicked, verse 29, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. So God is far from the wicked, which is interesting <clears throat> that he would say that. So how does someone get close to God, by the way? Because God is far from the wicked. How do you get close? Well, the Bible says if you that God resists the proud, as I mentioned earlier, but he gives grace to the humble. And that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So when a person humbles themselves, which is an act of repentance, God responds. He responds to true humility. And I love this. So the Lord is far from the wicked. He resists the proud and he's far from the wicked. But he even hears the prayers of the righteous. I love that. He's listening to our every prayer. Hey, I'll stop there because we're over time. And, um, and I, I didn't actually finish first service. I remembered I stopped around this, uh, this same area. So we'll, we'll end the chapter and move into 16 next week. Y'all good? Yeah. All right. So, well, why don't we bow our heads and try to be respectful for those the Lord is still speaking to, if you don't mind, if you bow your heads, father, we do thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord God. And Thank you in particular for your word that you've given us, and I pray that you would continue to use it in our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, I pray you would even at this moment have your way in our hearts now as we prepare to leave. And so I'll say to you with your heads bowed, if for some reason today 
you don't know Jesus and something has moved on your heart and you need to settle that. You know that today if you were to die, you do not have the assurance of salvation and eternal life, forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God. You do not have that assurance. You know it. You know for a fact that if you die, you're not absolutely sure where you would go. If that's you, then God is saying you need to repent, meaning that you need to turn to God immediately because tomorrow's not promised. And so for that person in the room, if that is you, this is a good moment for you because God loves you so much. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin. He rose him up on the third day to display his victory and his eternal life, which he offers to you right now at this very moment. So if that's you, if you just wave at me with everybody else's head bow and I close, I'll know that you're coming in um, and that, that God would do a work in your heart. I pray Father, for all of us who are here and gathered and even those watching online, and if, if anybody there, raise their hand in a living room, Lord God. I pray that at this moment, Lord, you are bringing them into a place of salvation. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, amen. Let's stand and sing.